Then after the birth of my third child, I had a period of just no hunger. I just, I lost my appetite. And, you know, in my illness, like the worst times for me have always been where I had no hunger cues. So I just had a lot of trouble eating, lost a bunch of weight without really noticing. And then one day I got on the scale and had this moment of like fear elation. Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we're determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. And you know, I love patient stories. You know, I love to hear your stories. And I'm hoping this next podcast guest will be helpful and inspirational if you know a family member that is dealing with an eating disorder. I know these are on the rise, they're rampant. And more and more, in fact, we were just talking this morning with some of my team members and it slowly came out that each one of them, there were five of us at the table, all women, each one of them had had struggled from an eating disorder in the past. So joining me today is Sherry Glick. Uh, She holds a degree in journalism, a JD and a half eaten muffin that one of her kids handed her and made her promise not to throw out. Lawyerly stuff she has done includes working at the Department of Justice and the House of Commons. Momish stuff she has done includes wrangling her three kids, finding new and exciting ways to monitor screen time. That's never ending. And chairing the parent council at her kids' school for the past eight years. Writerly stuff, I love the buckets she has done, includes writing for newspaper, magazines, and drafting a great deal of federal legislation, which maybe we might not know about. She does have a book, The Skinny, My Messy, Hopeful Fight for Full Recovery from Anorexia. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Thank you for being willing to share your story with us. Uh, Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So talk to us. What is going on here? How did this come about? Why did this become the topic that you really wanted to dial into? Give us a little bit of context and background. Um, That's a very broad question. So um, I guess I'll talk about why I wanted to write the book, I thought that, you know, it was important to like, there's so much shame and secrecy around eating disorders. Yeah. And, you know, I think that by coming out of the shadows and talking about them, people are more comfortable, not only, you know, coming forward and getting help, but also seeing other people and and understanding and recognizing that like their lives can be different and better and that you can recover and that it's not a life sentence. I love that. And then your take on that is not the traditional straightforward take. You've tried to make it humorous as well. Why do you think humor needs to be a part of this story? Yeah, because part of the title actually is a decently comical memoir. And I thought that was actually quite important um, so that people know what they're getting into. Because it's, it's, you know, it's not a joke book. It's there. You can, I think you can say very serious things with humor. I think that for me personally, uh, humor is the way I move in the world. And it would have been really hard for me not only to read a book with no humor, I, you know, but write a book with no humor. It had to be something, it would have felt very unnatural to me. And I just think that, you know, there can be, while I talk about some very serious things and they're very serious moments, like you're not going to be running out, like to try and find my next stand up act. You know, I think that, um, no, <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, it's, 
I think just life is better when you can laugh at things a little bit. And I think that that's, you know, when you're, they're just enough sort of really sad maudlin recovery memoirs. I just don't think the world needed another one. Oh my gosh. I could not agree more. Do you, do you feel comfortable sharing your journey and your story with eating disorders with us, how it evolved and even more importantly, and we were talking about this today, actually, how you find your way out of it. Like give us a little bit of kind of your perspective on that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I developed uh, an eating disorder when I was about 12. Um, I started restricting food and then I turned into a full-blown anorexia somewhere, you know, it's sort of amorphous. You don't know like the exact moment, but you know, by the time I was in grade seven or eight, I think going to turn into full-blown anorexia. And I was in and out of the hospital for, you know, all of my teen years. And then somewhere between sort of high school and undergrad, I considered myself better. And then for many years, I stayed in this place of quasi recovery, which is sort of this in-between place between sort of wellness or health and illness, I guess. And it's, it's a misnomer because you're not actually halfway better. The eating disorder noise is just as loud, but people are less likely to notice it because all of a sudden, you know, you're not necessarily in an emaciated body and people are, you know, admiring your exercise habits and your eating habits, even because that's just diet culture. Um, so I went on like that for quite a long time. And then after the birth of my third child, you I didn't have it through this whole journey of having children and every yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, and again, because, you know, there's this thing called anosognosia, which is a symptom of mental illness, which prevents your ability to see your mental illness, which is yeah. obviously amazing. So I actually was in a very deep state of denial. And again, because I'd been so very ill, you know, I looked at myself and was like, well, no, you know, this is and the things I do to stay thin are normal. This is what normal people do. This is fine. I, I eat things, you know, I, I'm not, you know, exercising as much as I used to, and I eat more things than I used to. So obviously I'm fine. And then after the birth of my third child, I had a period of just no hunger. I just, I lost my appetite. And, you know, in my illness, um, like the worst times for me have always been where I had no hunger cues. So I just had a lot of trouble eating, lost a bunch of weight without really noticing. And then one day I got on the scale and had this moment of like fear elation and not really knowing or knowing that the elation part was probably bad news. I made an appointment with a psychologist and I went to see her. It took a, it was a very long wait list. It was like nine months by the time mm. I actually, and it took me a long time to actually make the appointment. So by the time I went to see her, I had hunger cues again. And so I went to see her and I was, and she's like, why are you here? And I was like, well, you know, I had this period where I had no hunger cues and I made this appointment, but now I'm better. Things are fine. I can eat again. But I thought I might like tweak a few things from when I used to have anorexia. And she's like, okay, well, what are the things you want to tweak? And then I started listing things like, well, I have to exercise this many hours a day. I have to, you know, I count every calorie obsessively. I have to weigh and measure everything I eat. I can't eat at people's houses. I can't eat when I'm not hungry. And she's just like, that's because you still have anorexia. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what? I'm like, I've had anorexia. I know what that looks like. This is not that. Like, do people with anorexia eat carbs? Because I eat carbs. And she was just like, yeah, they do. And I didn't initially believe her. It took, you know, some time before I even was willing to sort of accept that I was still ill and struggling. And then I had this, I don't know, it, it sort of moment of epiphany, I guess, where I realized that I was still unwell. And that's when I embarked on this recovery effort. 
All right, Superwoman, I know the drill, right? We all live the same lifestyle. We're running around, we're juggling. We don't have time for 20 different products, 20 different bottles, trying to find information and put it all together. We want solutions and we want answers. That's why I developed the East West Way. It's my product and lifestyle line full of formulas that I personally curated to really get us the answers we need. I couldn't find anything on the market that adequately merged Eastern and Western medicine together and formulas that work and gave us the answers that we were also desperate for. I'm right there with you guys, losing hair, having acne, hormones all over the place. I needed something that worked, but also worked efficiently. I didn't have time to take an herb over here and a supplement over there and a medication maybe somewhere else. The East-West Way is the answer for all of us, and I couldn't be prouder of the formulas that I've developed. If you aren't familiar with some of the products, I want to share some of them with you. I've been super excited about them and have taken a lot of time and energy to put them all together. Collaglow is one of the newer products. It's Collaglow C. It has collagen, Amla and goji berry. So now we're merging together Ayurvedic and Eastern medicine concepts there for beautiful skin and hair, getting that glow and that circulation we need, and also a massive antioxidant burst and maybe repairing the gut a little bit along the way with the collagen. The Defender was born out of my anger around the pandemic. It's a combination of astragalus, vitamin C, and zinc, and I use that every single day, especially when I'm traveling or worried that I might be exposed to more germs. Boost is the hero, the hero product that started it all. The line started because I couldn't find a methylated formula that really answered all our needs around hormones, mood, memory, and so much more. Today, Boost continues to be the product that so many people say they can't live without. Belly fix, again, so much around gut health. I know my patients and even I, we were tired of having a bottle here, a bottle there, mixing things together, remembering to take four or five different things. Belly fix is the gut kitchen sink, has collagen, spirulina, prebiotics, probiotics, and so much more. I love this formula. It has been a game changer for so many people. Hormone Helper, again, hits close to home. I'm someone who has PCOS, as many of you know. A combination of maca, inositol, sal palmetto, and choline, supporting the liver, lowering androgens. It's our answer for really balancing hormones. Sleep Savior, another favorite, has magnesium, melatonin, and magnolia bark, because oftentimes falling asleep or staying asleep or both. So we needed something to answer all of that. That combination is a triple punch, works beautifully. Lush Locks, I take every day. Lush Locks has Ayurvedic and Chinese herbs that are known for regrowth and regeneration of hair and improving blood flow to the scalp, along with micronutrients that research tells us we should be focused on. This month, I'm offering an exclusive discount for Superwoman Wellness listeners. Just go to theeastwestway.com and enter SWW30 to get 30% off at checkout. Don't forget, if you rate and review any of my episodes, you'll get a free bottle of Boost. Just email me. It's hello at drtaz.com and I'll make sure it gets to you. All right. I can't wait for you guys to try these products. Let me know which one's your favorite and take advantage of the code SWW30 at theeastwestway.com. 
So what brought you to recovery? And I think you have a term called quasi-recovery. What is quasi-recovery and how did, how did you kind of journey towards recovery? And I'm assuming you have full recovery now, or are we still in a different state of recovery? Maybe help us with that. So quasi-recovery, um, as I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, I was trying to get at this whole story without rambling for too long. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, in the book, I just describe it as, you know, the, the second cousin once removed of diet culture. Like she's not quite as pretty and popular as diet culture, but she's invited to all the parties. Right. And so again, it's like people now, you know, yeah, you exercise a lot, but people now want to know about your exercise habits. And like, you have like a very strict eating schedule, but people want to know about it and people admire it. And so in the meantime, you like, you know, in your heart that things, you know, with me, it was an affliction of ignorance for many years, but then once I knew it was still very hard to change. And I think, cause it's also an affliction of fear. Like you come and it's very, very, very common for people who are in recovery from restrictive eating disorders. Cause you get to a place where, you know, you're recovered enough. You can do all of these things you used to be able to not do and you look okay. And so you're like, this is good enough, but it's actually not like you're not halfway better. And the eating disorder noise is, is still just as loud and just as prominent, but it's just not raising the red flags that it used to. Wow. Okay. So what got you, I still want to know how you, how you healed because so many times, I mean, even again, going back to the conversations today, like no one really has a clear answer. Like, how did you heal? How did you get yourself better? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think that, well, eating disorders are biopsychosocial. And so, you know, which I think that also a lot of people don't understand. So they're not a choice. And you also, you know, they're, they're caused by like a, an energy deficit. If you have the genetics for an eating disorder, you know, and you go on or, or you like start restricting food for whatever reason, you are going to in all likelihood develop an eating disorder. And so in order to get yourself out of an eating disorder, like not only do you have to like do the work, but you also have to get out of a caloric deficit because it just, you know, the, the noise is, is so much louder and it really does change sort of the way you, the amount of noise and the way you see things when, you know, you get out of that sort of deficit, but just getting there is really, is really tough. And I think, yeah, I think that just kind of pushing through the scary stuff. Gotcha. So did you have support? Did you have community? Did you go on medications? Did you do acupuncture? What, is there something that kind of like pushed you through and gave you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I tried a bunch of things, which I talk about in the book. Um, You know, I did a day hospital program twice, which didn't feel like a good fit for me. And, you know, for me, it was recovery coaching. Um, You know, different people have different things that work for them. I think really, you know, what it is in terms of like your support is just finding somebody that you like and respect. Like you can't just respect them and you can't just like them. It has to be sort of both. Yeah. And they act as a mentor and a guide and a coach to help you, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's kind of like a psychologist, but not because or a therapist, because you you like you're it's more goal oriented. You're not like looking at your like deep dark past. You're talking about sort of like why this was heard, what we can do. Right. You know, and then it's just like challenging and repeating the same things over and over and over again until they're not scary and not hard anymore. Like I, you know, in the book I talk about how a commitment and sitting with discomfort are the two most important things in recovery. Like you have to be committed to recovery because there are times that you're not going to want to keep going. And you have to remember that like a, like the version of you, like you made that decision in your right mind. Yeah. So, you know, you have to remember that you have committed to it, even if it doesn't feel like the right thing to do it, it feels too hard. And then sitting with discomfort because it feels comfortable in the moment. And it's just like repeating and repeating and repeating. And then, you know, these things get more comfortable. Gotcha. Well, I think, the biggest challenge, you know, you were 12 years old when this started. Uh, we know that eating disorders, especially with the rise of social media, are on the rise. 
what are we supposed to do as parents? You know, what should parents be doing? How do we cultivate a healthy relationship? As you know, I will tell you personally, like having a young daughter who I'm a little bit concerned about, like, and also having in the same hand, all this knowledge about nutrition, right. And healthy eating and all this other stuff, you know, how do we cultivate a healthy environment around food, around body image, around communicating, you know, uh, some of our desires around nutrition, like what should parents be doing and what should parents be looking out for? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a professional, right. But just based on my knowledge and experience, you know, I, I think that, you know, in terms of body image, it's really, you know, a lot, I hear a lot of my, and I think because I've been through this, I'm so much more alert to these things, but, you know, you hear people talking, like criticizing their own bodies in front of their kids, you know, or being like, oh, I can have this ice cream because I'm going to go for a run later, or because I went for this big walk, or I'm being naughty. Like all of these like little things that people say without even thinking twice about them, or I have my mother's thighs, you know, things like that, but also not just like, these negative things that you might be saying, but also the positive, you know, it's, it's such a common thing to constantly like compliment people, including little girls, when you have nothing else to say, it fills the space. You're so pretty. You're so cute. You're so this, you're so that, but then, you know, it gives this impression that this is all we care about. And so that, you know, that we're noticing that our children, you know, that, that we're noticing their bodies and their appearance above everything else. And it's also, you know, it's hard to never compliment your children. Like, you know, I have girls right. too. Right. But I think that doing it less is is the better way to go. And you yeah. know, with food, like not labeling things as like good food and bad food, or sometimes food and you know, and always everyday foods, and like you know, because then people like they you you develop these sort of obsessions with them, or or fear of them, or the, you you fetishize them. You know, like trying to make all food sort of neutral, mm-hmm. and you know, our children follow their own instincts around food. Gotcha. Yeah. Are there signs we should look for in our children? Things that make us should make us suspicious if someone's suffering from an eating disorder? Yeah. You know, I think a sudden obsession with, you know, wanting to be healthier, wanting to eat healthier, wanting to prepare meals for everybody. Sometimes it's just like you want to be cooking, but sometimes it's like you want to prepare food for everybody and you're not eating it. Um, wanting to look healthier, wanting to get healthier, wanting to like anything that just comes on kind of suddenly and suspiciously, you might really want to pay a lot of attention to. And sort of, you know, because the longer you have, and I talk about this a lot in the book also, sort of, you know, all these neural pathways. And, you know, I describe it in the book as like, there's this arboretum near my house. And I talk about sort of, you know, how we, when you're in recovery, like in, in the winter, there's always a path you can walk through. And when you're in recovery, you're trying to, you know, it, it's like walking through the snow that nobody has walked in and it's like deep, but it's much harder. And it's, it's these neural pathways. So you're trying to develop new ones. And so when you're ill, you know, these neural pathways become entrenched. And so the sooner we can sort of like get in there and start getting help for our children or treatment, I think, you know, just the easier it is to recover. Also just remembering a healthy version of yourself. Yeah. Like for me, part of, you know, it was very like confusing because I was like, I don't remember a healthy version of myself. I don't remember what foods I used to like. I don't remember, you know, what exercise I used to enjoy, like things I used to just do for joy. Yeah. So, you know, I think like the sooner you can get in there, just the easier it is to recover. Not to say that you can't recover after 30 years. Of course you can. But I just think like, you know, why suffer longer than you have to? Hi there, superstars. I have an exciting announcement. My new book, The Hormone Shift, Balance Your Body Through Midlife and Menopause is out this October and is available for pre-order right now wherever books are sold. 
Most women, let's be honest, have been led to believe that entering midlife means existing at the complete mercy of our mysterious hormones for the next decade. When we take our concerns to our doctors, we're told that our debilitating symptoms are normal or we're fine or it's in our head. I'm here to tell you that fine is not good enough. I want women to thrive through every life stage. So I've devised a hormone reset plan that blends the best of Eastern and Western medicine together to bring your body back into balance, minimize unwanted symptoms, and have you feeling like yourself again. It's not you, it's your hormones. Are you ready to thrive? Go to prh.com backslash the hormone shift to pre-order your copy right now. So... You know, if you're suspicious someone you love or someone you know, or even you yourself is suffering from an eating disorder, what's a good first step? Is it telling somebody? Is it finding like a coach, like you're saying, like where, where should someone begin? Because we want to make this actionable in terms of, you know, where should a parent begin? Where should a spouse begin? You know, like what's, what's a good starting point? Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth talking to your family doctor, you know, and like we, we haven't really touched on misconceptions around eating disorders. This really important is just knowing that, you know, only 13, I think I read the statistic, I've read it many times, a bunch of sources, like it wasn't like tweeted by Donald Trump, like it's like <laughs> information, I believe only 13% of people with restrictive eating disorders present in underweight bodies. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really important. I, I think that people have a lot of trouble coming forward if they don't look typically, you know, like what, you know, your, your images of the stereotypical person with anorexia or restrictive eating disorder. So I think that, you know, your first step is to talk to your doctor, but sometimes like doctors are also, you know, might not understand or may not believe you. And so then your second step is to find somebody who does believe you. If your doctor isn't, you know, taking you as seriously as you need to be taken, find somebody who will listen and who will believe you. And, you know, if it's your child, it's the same thing that you have to be their advocate and, you know, having a treatment team again, who you trust. I don't think there's like, a, you know, necessarily like therapists are better than coaches or a day hospital program is better than, you know you have to sort of figure out what fits for your life and what makes you feel like the most comfortable. And I think it's really trial and error, but just, um, and it's also, you know, I think that a lot of the treatment, especially, you know, in previous years, like certainly when I was growing up, a lot of it was just like, talk, 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 talk therapy. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, talking about your eating disorder constantly and not actually challenging your eating disorder is just going to keep you in your eating disorder. Yeah, I agree too. So instead of talk therapy, you know, you recommend what specifically? I mean, I think you can have talk therapy in conjunction with a plan that's challenging your eating disorder. I think that you can be, it, it's fine if you're going to talk about it, but you also have to be doing things to, to make changes. You know, mm -hmm. you can go to, like, you can't talk yourself out of an eating disorder mm -hmm. and, you know, people in eating disorders often think, you know, I'm going to talk about this until I feel ready to recover, but you will never feel ready to recover. Yeah. You have to just jump in otherwise like the years blend together and then you know it's being 10 or 20 or 30 years and you're still in it like you're never there's never a moment where you're gonna you know talk to your therapist and one day be like okay today's the day right no that's just not how it works mm, it's a tough one I've definitely definitely seen the struggle well how is your book going to help so many people who want more information on this and what are you hoping to see from people who are reading your book um, you know, something very positive that's come out of it so far has been just people coming to me, you know, either by email, like through my website or on my Instagram or, you know, some people like that I've actually, that I know with like through Facebook messenger saying like, this is something I've been struggling with and I haven't been able to talk about it. 
And again, I think so much of it is just like being able to talk about this thing and seeing that things can be different and things can be better and, you know, just opening a dialogue. I think that that is really important and meaningful. I love that. So if anyone listening today wants more information around eating disorders or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, well, if they want to connect with me, I have a website. It's sherrysiegelglick.com. And I also have an Instagram account, a recovery account. It's despair on Instagram um, or, you know, read my book. <laughs> yeah. I love that. All right. The book is The Skinny, My Messy, Hopeful Fight for Full Recovery from Anorexia. This is uh, an increasing problem probably in your home and you may be unaware of it. So I encourage you guys to reach out, grab the book. And like Sherry says, it's serious, but we can still use a little humor along the way to help see ourselves out of this. Thank you again, Sherry, for taking time to join us today. And for everybody else, thank you for listening and watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness. We will see you next time. 